Blog Talk Radio. There's a reason for this. There's a reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big, wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Forget the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They've got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying to get what they want. Well, we know what they want. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table and figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking retirement money. They want it back so they can give it to their criminal friends on Wall Street. And you know something? They'll get it. They'll get it all from you sooner or later because they own this fucking place. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. I am the soul that the builder refused. I am the visual, the inspiration that made ladies sing the blues. I'm the spark that makes your idea bright. The same spark that lights the dark so that you can know you're not from your right. I am the ballad in your box, the bullet in the gun, the inner glow that lets you know to call your brother son. The story that just begun, the promise of what's to come. And I'ma remain a soldier till the war is gone. gone. <laughs> By taking some time out of our daily lives to sit down and have a little chat. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. We think, just let me think. I suspect even now, orders are being shouted into telephones and men with guns will soon be on their way. Damn it! Why? Because while the truncheon may be used in lieu of conversation, words will always retain their power. Words offer the means to meaning, and for those who will listen, the enunciation of truth. And the truth is, there is something terribly wrong with this country, isn't there? You designed it, sir. You wanted it foolproof. You told me every television in London. Cruelty and injustice, intolerance and depression. And where once you had the freedom to object, to think and speak as you saw fit, you now have senses and systems of surveillance coercing your conformity and selecting your submission. We need cameras. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others. They will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which 
conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic, you turned to the now High Chancellor, Adam Sutler. He promised you order, he promised you peace, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. Inspector. And what the left has stood for with political correctness is to try and get those with whom they disagree to shut up. And it, the, the Tea Party movement and Sarah Palin and Michelle Bachman and Alan West and, and all, the, all the people that have gone out there against the mainstream media and said, you're going to call us racist, you're going to call us potential Timothy McVeigh's, fuck you. War. You live here? Yes. Well, maybe you know what a zombie is. When a person dies and is buried, it seems there are certain voodoo priests who, who have the power to bring him back to life. How horrible. It's worse than horrible because a zombie has no will of his own. You see them sometimes, walking around blindly with dead eyes, following orders, not knowing what they do, not caring. You mean like Democrats? It's 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.
Heidi kids. Uh, tell me if you can hear me now. Okay, good enough. Uh, I had to kill the Spreaker feed because BTR did not play well with the uh, did not play well with the output. So I'm not going to. Uh, we're not going to be able to. Uh, to fiddle that tonight. However, we have certainly more than enough stuff to get to tonight. And unfortunately, I'm going to be one-handing, cutting and pasting this stuff as it goes along. So first off tonight, I see we've got our full complement of folks in the uh, chat room and on the phones. So the title of the show being The Slow Descent into Madness is really, I'm thinking, uh, not, uh, not super, uh, not super good. So and the first thing that I'm going to bring to you tonight is a number of, or it's going to be this article I just put in the chat room, which comes from the conservativetribune.com. And I think it really illustrates exactly what's happening in the indoctrinations uh, that's going on in the college, and the article goes as such. Are you the kind of person that thinks being civil in a classroom environment is conductive, perhaps even, or conducive, perhaps even necessary to the learning process, you freaking racist? Apparently, that is the thoroughly tested, academically reached conclusion of C. Kyle Rudick and Catherine B. Golson, their professors at the University of Northern Iowa. And according to their recent academic paper, they claim that civility in college classrooms is nothing more than a tool of white supremacy. The paper, published by the Howard Journal of Communications, is titled Civility and White Institutional Presence, Exploration of White Students' Understanding of Race Talk at a Traditionally White Institution. So far, academic gibberish. However, according to campus reform, things actually managed to get worse from there. According to Rudick and Golson, a whiteness-informed civility functions to assert control of space and attempts to create good, a good white identity. This civility helps reproduce white racial power. How did they arrive at this conclusion? Here's their methodology. They found 10 white college students and asked them questions like, what do you consider to be civil behavior? And how do you think your racial identity may affect your understandings of civility when talking with students of color? The results of these interviews helped Golson and Rudick reach a startling conclusion. 
And by startling, I mean absolutely bad feces and same. Through an analysis of interview data, they, in, they generated three categories describing whiteness-informed civility. The abstract reads, whiteness-informed civility functions to create a good white identity. B, whiteness-informed civility functions to erase racial identity. And C, whiteness-informed civility functions to assert control of space. The thematic concepts show how WIC is how we'll refer to it from here on out, is characterized by logics of race evasion, avoidance of race talk, and exclusion of people of color. The authors conclude that by offering ways for instructors to interrogate WIC through classroom practices informed by critical communication pedagogy, these people work at a public university. You know, the one that takes your tax dollars. I just thought I'd bring that up here. The authors found that those individuals who said they tried to treat everyone the same way were just trying to create a good white identity. First participants stated that they tried to avoid talking about race or racism with students of color to minimize the chance that they would say something wrong and be labeled a racist, the paper reads. Another way that participants described how they tried to be civil when interacting with students of color was to be overly nice or polite. And if you and if you try to go out of your way to be overly civil to minority students, you're upholding white privilege and white racial power. Well, I'll say this much. They certainly gave the author of When Angelino Squirrels Don't Eat Nuts, a feminist post-humanist politics of consumption across Southern California, a run for their money, in the Academic Insanity Department in terms of both titling and content. It is worth noting that if Golson and Rudick find civility to be an issue, the other option isn't likely to be critical communication pedagogy, but instead incivility. This would likely take the form of incivility directed towards students because of their race, usually because they're white. But apparently, being civil towards African Americans or other minorities is upholding white racial power or something, so who knows. Of course, that's not actually going to occur. This is a silly exercise in pseudo-academic nonsense that's likely to make its authors briefly sort of famous and then get cited by other also-ran academics who have equally inane ideas and need to pad their citation list likelihood that this has any real effect in the outside world is where person-informed civility is generally necessary to function as a contributing member of society is virtually nil. But then stranger things have happened. And the fact that this exists at all is proof in some corners of academia that almost any kind of idea of stupidity will pass as a valid contribution to the exchange of ideas just so long it is not conservative. When I read this, once I got done choking down, you know, gales of laughter, I came to the conclusion, and I think it's more more often than not, is starting to become a, a forward view across things currently, is that 
these people are doing this in order to not only produce their social justice warrior point of view across a larger extent of of humanity, but it's also a it's also going to end up being a race baiting exercise, which is going to turn a lot of people to the point where they're going to start being okay to start dealing with the SJW crowd. And I think that's really where this is all going to end up in the future. So first off, I'm going to mute myself, and then I'm going to click up No Way. No Way, what up? Try the Gooch ones. Hey, Gooch, are you testing there? One, oh, testing one, two, three. <laughs> Can you hear me? You get... Okay. Um, so who do I have now? You guys, you got, got me too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. So let's go Gooch first and then No Way. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You know, you said baiting. I think they're going to use this to force people who don't want to talk about race into talking about race. Um, They've gone a step uh, in the aggressive direction. Um, And I figured something out this week, and it had to do with work. Um, a lady was, uh, African-American lady was talking about Asians at work, just flat out in the open. And we were sitting around and she said something like, uh, well, you know, they all look the same. Not a, not an ounce of shame on her face. And, uh, it, it struck me a little weird. Of course, none of us who are considered white, even though I'm a, male Cherokee lesbian, none of us would uh, say a word because we're like, well, that's insane. If we were to say the same thing, we'd be fired on the spot. There was about five of us sitting there. But I figured out that if you are considered the majority, you don't have the same rights to talk about race as do someone who has uh, gathered the uh, laurels of being considered a minority. I don't like to talk about race either. I don't think race has anything to do with honesty, dishonesty, good, evil, you know, the capacity to do either one. But I'm, I'm a, I'm a troglodyte or, you know, an Anderthal to the uh, cosmopolitan, uh, you know, uh, femboy nation, whatever we're calling it now, of leftists who've decided that people are going to be judged by their race and they're going to be categorized like M&Ms instead of merit and achievement. Um, This is a way that the left is using to militarize debate. And just like Obamacare, you may not want to have anything to do with this conversation, okay? But now they are dragging people into it. They're going to say that, you know, silence is compliance. Um, You're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, and again, it, it's sick and stupid, but this is what happens in a 
in a federally run daycare center, you know, for adults who are pretty much never going to have a chance of working a real job and being held accountable or being fired. Um, it's, it's, it's just sick because I don't base conversations when I look at people in the eye based on their race, but race has been turned into a political vehicle. Um, instead of being a country of individuals of different ethnicities, we are now supposed to be a uh, cataloged uh, series of racial enclaves who have a correct position on every issue. And that is placing, uh, you know, uh, our race ahead of, uh, you know, of our intellectual pursuits. And, and even, even the left won't admit that race is just a thing they use. They don't actually care about race as far as, you know, what happens to African-Americans or what have you. They'd be, they'd be vehemently pro-life if they really cared about people. Uh, this is another means to an end. Um, what you said about baiting, it is, it is baiting, but it's, it's gone beyond that. It's, it's, especially since you have these kids, you know, the white kids, you have them in a, uh, in a laboratory where they actually can't escape, you know, they're on campus now. Campus is, it's the, it's the new Petri dish turned into a, you know, a MMA boxing ring. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, you know, you know, my broken record on this, this is pull federal funding. If the Black Panthers want to build a university, go for it. If the Klan wants to build a university, go for it. But forcing kids to endure this kind of bullshit um, <clears throat> is just wrong. And <clears throat> we, can, we can address it constitutionally and say, you know what, um, <clears throat> you're not getting any more money. So uh, with that, I will hand over the floor to the much more talented and intelligent No Way and uh, I'll be easy to follow. You go for it, no way. Well, thank you, Gooch. Thank you, Gooch. Um, Yeah, what I was saying, too many mute buttons on three different screens is just too much, I guess. (laughs) But, uh, no, what I was saying is this is is how they've changed our society. They started out, remember, everything was about white guilt. We heard this hit about 10 years ago, and they started screaming about white guilt, white guilt. Well, the white people weren't guilty about anything. I mean, I, you know, I'm half white, but I never owned slaves. None of my people ever owned slaves. We, we couldn't care less what race you were. But in the schools, through the indoctrination, it starts very young. As Gooch always says, you take the Department of Education on each individual state level. They don't make the decisions. The federal government does. The people on the local level have given up their right to say what kind of education they're going to have for their children, and they've handed it over to the globalist. Now, once you started the narrative of white guilt, white supremacy, The Democrats will never, ever admit they are the racist. They are the party of the the Ku Klux Klan. They are the ones that have fought their whole entire life 
to create classes and groups of people so they can pitch them against each other. The bad thing is, is what they have done with the blacks. The blacks have, they see their oppression as something that white people have put onto them. They're not even intelligent enough anymore to look and see that the whites are just as oppressed as the blacks. Can't see that because they are looking for a, a victim. They First, they create a victim, which right now is the blacks. They have been for years. Now, you need the perpetrator of this oppression. Even though it's rich white people in Congress and these professors pushing this, the kids are so indoctrinated into hatred and into not understanding exactly what is going on. They don't know true history. They only know what their so-called professors are telling them, or in high school, their teachers. They start off in the kindergarten, these are your teachers. They are the smartest people in this country. That's why they're teachers. You have to listen to everything they say. And the kids are indoctrinated at a very young age of the teachers and the educational system are the only smart ones. Nobody else knows as much as these educators do. So once they get into college, what we have today is easy for them to do because the kids don't know the truth. The kids are just trying to fit in. So now the, the white kids in college do not have any white guilt. They don't even understand what it truly is. All they know is that they have been made uncomfortable to be around because now they're being told you don't know how to talk, you don't know how to treat these people, nothing you do. So they're making these white people feel, these kids feel inferior to everything and everybody. So it doesn't matter how strong-willed and intelligent their parents are, these kids will end up being the dumbest, uneducated unskilled kids you would ever find because they're so scared to say any word and that's what they've created but there's another thing behind it once you start pushing all of this racism and all of this hatred amongst the groups what happens next the violence breaks out you get the loose cannons you get the black guy that is just so ticked off at the white man that he starts attacking them. He goes, and we have what? Just like the church shooting here a few weeks back. They have turned so many nutcases against Christianity that now the Christians sitting in the church have become the enemy of these loose cannons. The same thing is going to start happening with our youth, our young adults in their mid-20s. They're going to graduate from college. They're going to go out into the real world. And the blacks are going to see what? There's no jobs. There's no high-paying trade at all out there for anybody. But they're going to blame the white man. They're going to blame the white students. They're only going to get... So, you know, run down so long and they're going to start getting violent. 
They're going to start going after the white communities. They're going to start going after the white people on the street. And and this will happen. We're already seeing it. This is exactly what these Marxists and these fascists have done for the past hundred years. You create a victim. You create the circumstance that has made this victim. And then the first thing you do is you point out a group of people that you want to control and you want to oppress and you want to tear down and you say, they're the perpetrators. A person's going to be scraping along the bottom for only so long before that downtrodden feeling within them starts turning to hatred. Then that hatred festers into violence. And next thing you know, we have an all-out civil war in society. And who wins in the end? The government. They create the crisis. Then we have to do something about the crisis. And we have more Gestapo-style law enforcement hitting the street that they'll, they'll pull the trigger first and talk later. We see that happening already. We don't have law enforcement anymore. We have thugs with a badge. And that's all we have left. The older guys have taken their retirement and they've gone off and they sit back and complain about how bad the world is and the country is, but they're the ones that helped perpetrate it because they kept their mouth shut for their union brothers. And now you have a bunch of 20-something-year-olds out there with friggin' guns and a chip on their shoulder that they're so much better than anybody else. Do you think Hitler's brown shirts cared as they beat your wife or your kids to death in the street to get your servitude? Not one bit. And the same thing's happening again. Do you think Antifa, uh, Occupy, Black Lives Matter, all of these people, do you think they really care about the truth? No. They only care about a thug-style mentality, care that government is taking from you to give to them, and that's all they care about. And if you speak out against it, well, then they have all these little fascist terms that they can use. You're a homophobe. You're an Islamophobe. You're a a white supremacist, and on and on and on it goes. And this is how you destroy a culture by, number one, you dumb down the kids, They go into college, and they have no idea what racism is. So then you feed on that fake, lying narrative. And we see, by taking a good look at society today, it's working. Because people will agree with you until they get a trigger word or a trigger phrase. And then all of a sudden, they go off the deep end. You, you, you white supremacist, you white this, you white that. And then, of course, now the white kids are sitting back behind, under their breasts saying all those stupid black kids, they, they're the victims of nothing. They're the victims of themselves. And now you start getting the two groups hating each other. How do you think they turned Islam against the world? It's the same indoctrination that turned these radicals against anybody that is not. It's the same hatred. They've taken that mentality and put it into our colleges. We saw last week, and on my show for a couple weeks, I've been showing you what the colleges are. 
You don't have free speech. These kids are determined that free speech is in this little square box, and you can't say anything that goes against these people because these radicals over here are given the right to scream you down. They want anarchy. They want anarchy in the classroom, in the the courtyard, wherever they have it. They want anarchy. They don't want anybody being calm. They don't want anybody being rational because they're the only ones that will take and present themselves as we're the rational ones. You guys are just too immature yet to be rational. So you have to listen to us. Well, all they do is throw fuel on the fire or salt on the wound. And it just keeps continuing to fester into what we're seeing today where whites don't even dare to show their face in in public in some of the the bigger cities because the blacks hate them so bad that the blacks will beat them up or attack them or destroy them. It's just, it's crazy. It truly is. So that's what I have on that, RZ. Back to you. All right. Thank you, Noe. And before we go to the next one, let's see what Brother John has to say. What up, John? Man, I don't have anything to add to that. This Gooch and no way just nailed it. I mean, definitely I can conjecture nonsense, but, I mean, who wants to add to the more nonsense? I mean, to me, it's a psychological warfare issue, and why certain people are pulling the trigger or playing it that way, just like no way in them are saying it's they're just trying to instigate and stir stuff up and they're taking advantage of people that psychologically will trip on that kind of stuff. We all have different personalities and different levels of emotional intelligence. And sometimes when I'm not on my A game, people can draw me into those kind of things. So I got to be careful myself even, but that's about it. Back to you. All righty. Thank you, John. And going into the chitty chat room right now is an article which I shall bring to you now. In Memphis, Tennessee, the fight against the South goes on. And not necessarily the fight against the South, but those people in the South that stood up for what they believed at that time. And the article goes as such. Republican state lawmakers on Thursday called for an investigation and are considering drafting new legislation after Memphis sold two public parts to circumvent state law in order to remove controversial Confederate statues. In a statement issued Thursday, House Majority Leader Glenn Casada and House Republican Caucus Chairman Ryan Williams said they will immediately begin working with House Speaker Beth Harwell, Attorney General Hubert Slattery, and the State Comptroller's Office to investigate the matter and to recommend action to the full body of the legislature. Memphis Mayor Jim Strickland had no qualms about an investigation. We welcome any review because we are confident that this was a legal transaction and will answer any questions and provide any documents. On Wednesday, the city Memphis City Council unanimously approved the sale of two public parks 
each for $1,000 that had statues of Nathan Bedford Forrest and President Jefferson Davis. The sale made to a nonprofit, Memphis Greenspace, circumvents a state law that required the city to get approval from the Tennessee Historical Commission in order to seek the statue's removal. Approval was necessary because the statues were on public property. Shortly after the sale, Memphis Green Space began removing both controversial statues. Noting that the State Historical Commission denied the city's application to remove the statues, Casada and Williams said the council's action violates the spirit and intent of state law. We are governed by a rule of law here in Tennessee, and these actions are a clear infringement of this principle and set a dangerous precedence for our state. Republicans said, we look forward to beginning this investigation and addressing this important constitutional issue as we prepare for the 2018 legislative session in Nashville. Among the questions Cassada and Williams are asking are whether the city violated Sunshine Laws by coordinating with the private company on sale of the property. They also asked whether anyone would personally gain from the rapid and clear undervalued sale of the properties and whether existing state laws were violated with the statute's removal. Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally said Thursday afternoon he was saddened by the city's decision to make an end run around the law and the explicit intent of the General Assembly. Admitting that Forrest and Davis had troubling histories, McNally said it was important to consider the entire historical narrative while deciding which aspects of history to honor. The apparent violation of the Sunshine Law and the selling of the parks is concerning, McNally said, noting that the city's mayor and council must uphold state laws. Whether they ran afoul of the letter of the law is not clear. That they violated the spirit of the law is undeniable. The removal of the statues and the action by Memphis officials was met with praise and criticism on social media by legislators on both sides of the aisle. And they go into a bunch of tweets, which, of course, are just my side's right, yada, yada, yada. So what you've got is a city council that end runs in order to further an SJW agenda by removing or by selling public property to a little... SJW thing called, where is it? Memphis Green Space. Now, Mem- okay, Green Space is the operative term. If you know anything about, oh, say, Agenda 21 or Agenda 30, in every plan that comes out when you are looking at what they do when they're trying to concentrate populations into a smaller areas that they create green space. And this would be part of a plan such as that. But to sell and I would assume in Memphis proper that a city park is worth considerable more than a thousand bucks. Great. Across the street from me is a 
block of park, just kitty corner from my house. $1,000 would get you probably about, ooh, maybe 10 square foot of that block of property. And most parks are generally more than a block. So once again, the utter hatred that people have for history and the utter hatred that people get into when they deny their own history and good, bad, or indifferent, and you all know the way I feel about the the Civil War. There was nothing civil about it, and it was really the end of our country because of that scumbag Lincoln who crapped all over the Constitution and brought us into a phase of existence where the administrative and the executive branch of the government has run roughshod over the people ever since then. This is the crime more than anything else, and if anybody that has done any particular study on the Civil War and what happened damn near immediately after it, started to do it, they would be tearing down Lincoln statues all over this freaking country. Because when it comes to who's damaged this land, Abraham Lincoln stands head and shoulders above the rest. And because John was third last time, we'll make him first now. Go ahead, John. Well, I, I definitely don't want to be pulled into that argument right there. You know, many people are going to want to argue with you for sure because most of Americans, in my humble opinion, you guys have mentioned it several times on other shows, they could care less about history, and they don't even know it properly. And I'm probably one that doesn't quite understand it properly either because, truthfully, the um, – School I grew up, oh, Lincoln's great, you know, and he's one of the greatest because he emancipated, you know, all of the slaves and whatnot. Well, she whiz, this other stuff came way, way later, and I mean, I probably didn't hear about that till just within the last 10 years myself. And so all of these different things fall into the same stuff that was in the other letter or the earlier part of the conversation where it seems like it's just a psychological warfare manipulation game where people are trying to instigate the um, failure of America so that way they can usher in their, you know, centralized dictator for one world corporate governing. And it's all exclusion. They just want to have full, massive control themselves and exclude the rest of us. So, you know, we can say that, or like I'm just giving credit to what you were saying, RZ, that um, our country kind of fell apart in 1863 or thereabouts when Lincoln was in office. But in my humble opinion, it's been rigged since the Constitution, because we've said this before, the Constitution itself was a flawed document from the get-go for multiple reasons. But 
who's getting the control and who's doing all the manipulating is the people that have the resources and the finances to manipulate the resources they have in order to, you know, influence the manipulation of other resources that they don't have control of, and they take advantage of weak psychological people. But, you know, arguing over the history and stuff within reason, it does some good, but I'm more interested in, hey, where do we go from here and how do we make it work? And definitely that we have to have some kind of foundation to stand on and make sure that, you know, we have an understanding about history to a point that we can move forward without repeating the same mistakes. But this campaign to just breed distrust and and just outright, I mean, who knows who's telling the truth about anything anymore. That, That right there, once you lose the confidence of having cohesion within the United States people. You know, we can say, oh, I love this country, but do you love the people? Are we in, Are we truly in love with each other, not from a sexual, you know, perverted way? I'm saying, do you really care about your brother and your sister and their needs, whether they're, you know, politically left or politically right? They're still a human being, and that if if they want to continue to use this psychological scam tricks to manipulate even the church, then, man, God help us. I'm, I'm for lost for words. And that's all I see this is. It's just another stir-up of trying to – it's uh, just antichrist, in my humble opinion. And I don't think you're interested in going into the details of that right now, but maybe on another show or something. But that, it's – that's all it is, is just making yourself or some group of you the boss and the Lord and the master and the Savior, and they get all the power and exclude the rest of you. You're just serfs. All of the lords of the feudal system are going to control all of you serfs and vassals. But anyway, it frustrates me. I don't understand who's doing this. I'd rather find out who the people are that's perpetrating this stuff and find out what it is they really want. Because if they ain't interested in cooperation, you know, cohesiveness, unity, and working together as the one people to let everybody live their own lives, you know, what is it, well, how does people say, uh, I live and let live, then I'm tired of the scam about saying we got a constitution and, and America stands on, you know, us being free people and we get to self-governing and uh, govern and live the life we want to live. Well, within reason, there is some truth to that. But when you get into the details, certain people don't subscribe to the Constitution or the spirit of the Declaration of Independence, so that can't be true. But apparently these kids on these um, indoctrinated sites, you know, I'm talking about the colleges, they're either weak psychologically or weak um, emotionally and are being manipulated. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough of my guests. I mean, yeah, I know some of them, but within reason, I think it's due to bad parenting skills. But then again, the parents may not got good parenting whenever they were young and they grew up in that. So now they're just misleading their own children down the you know dark alley and bad way of going. You. Put somebody more intelligent on this call, RZ. I'm out. <laughs> All righty. And know it. Well, that uh, 
John made a good point right there towards the end about the parents. We we have to look at the parents, generation after generation after generation. The first thing we know today is there's a lie out there that you will be nothing in this country, you will be nothing in the future unless you go to college. So they have the assumption of an education. And now when it comes to the liberals that are now running a lot of these towns and cities across America, and it's an all-out war. It's an all-out war on what America is. They want to destroy America. So now when they're pushing this narrative of how the South was the perpetrators, I mean, this is, they're talking the whole South. If you're below the Mason-Dixon line, many of the young snowflakes and the SJWs up here in the North, they have no idea about the truth. So now they're pushing the narrative of how racist and how oppressive and mean the people of the South are. What is the big fight against the South? Well, let's take a look at our elections. Where do most of the conservative and Republican candidates and winners come from? The South. They can almost count on 90% of the South voting in a Republican president. When they wanted to push gay marriage, the North, they just walked right through the North. They couldn't care less. The, the people up here, just like in Maine, it, it, was, it was so bad. If you spoke out against the homosexual lobby that was going on here in Maine five years ago, you were, you were branded a racist homophobe, especially if you were Christian. Oh, then they really attacked you. And this is the kind of stuff that they put forth. Now, why would somebody say, why would they want to get rid of all of these statues everywhere? They've gotten rid of the Confederate flag. Now, we have to get rid of all of these statues. Why? Because as kids, you're curious. Who's this a statue of? Well, why is he so great that they did this? They're not going to sit there and say, well, this general on this horse, he, this, that is showing racism, and that's showing slavery, and that's showing the oppression of the black communities. The, the kids wouldn't want that statue there. Where they don't know history, where they, the history to a liberal is what happened yesterday. That's history. What happened two days ago, they couldn't tell you. All they know is what happened yesterday to why they're pissed off today and something new for a narrative. So they need to continue to destroy history. What else came about with stinking Lincoln? The narrative to why we had the Civil War, so many people where you're not, you know, me being in the state of Maine, is one of the reasons I understand why we had the Civil War, especially being in northern Maine. Northern Maine, ever since, why would a Civil War be fought over slavery, 
But in the documents ending the Civil War, more or less your surrender documents, why is there something about the border in a stupid little state up here in the north? That that fight went on for over a hundred years, ladies and gentlemen, well over a hundred years, was the border war for northern Maine. Why would they put in all waters that flow north into the St. John is Canada, all waters that flow south into the Gulf of Maine is America? Because it was all about trade. It was about trade. It was about the ports. Anything that came in from overseas and came from England would were to go to northern ports, and the people in the south would have to pay to have their product or their stuff shipped down from the north. So we're not allowed to sail into southern ports, period, from overseas. That's where the big fight was. And if you want to know what kind of history there was up here, is what you do is you go in and you look at the maritime history of Canada. Canada will tell you all about what happened when the Europeans came here, how Canada had a big fight to keep their own ports. Because America kept trying to lay claim to all the the big ports. The, the big St. John River, they were sailing right up the lower end of the St. John River and coming right into the St. Lawrence Seaway. And America wanted control of it. Well, of course, Canada did too. And this was all part of the Civil War, ladies and gentlemen. This is where so much of it is not talked about today. So when you're going to get rid of these statues, is to get rid of the history. But the method that they're, the left is going to, why is there even talks about it? Why is there big political theater in the papers to sway the people one way or the other? Are you going to stick with the state? Or are you going to go with these liberals that are just illegally selling land? And RZ's right. You know, a thousand bucks? That's corruption. That's full-fledged corruption. Where I am in this little town in Maine, ladies and gentlemen, this half-acre lot, which is, what, a tenth of a, a city block? A a little quarter acre is worth $52,000 to this town, not counting the house that sits on it. And that's the thing right there. It's what they, the corruption, anytime we had to sit down and go to the townspeople, K, for somebody that was passing away to gift property to the town. And there was a whole legal stipulation of what the town could do with that land. Basically, if I were, if I had 100 acres and I'm on my deathbed and I want to give it to the people of this town where I live, I could gift it to the town and they would accept it. But the stipulations are you can't develop it. That's the green spaces we should have. We don't need a city block divided up and we have six homes crammed in like sardines so they can have, as RZ was telling you, their green spaces. That's sustainable development. People think sustainable development is, well, you're sustaining people's lives. Oh, no. 
You might as well just call them little sustainable developments because that's where you can congregate the people. When it's time to control the people, you have them all safely packed into one little sardine can. You can give them what they need or you can start shutting it off. And you don't have, when you get into rural areas like where I live, it's hard to control everybody because we're so sprawled out everywhere. You might get three or four, but if you take and you make it so hard and you basically make it so nobody can live in a roar out in wilderness and they have to get congregated into these city areas, well, then there's your sustainable development. You can do what you want out and about, and you've got all your sheeple congregated into one little circle. And, well, they're they're not behaving the way we want, so we'll cut down on their supplies. We'll cut down on their their electricity. We'll cut down on their food, their fuel supply, and it'll be easier to do it if you have them all congregated into one little tight-knit area. When I was in this town hall here, we had one guy that was that came over to the uh, our committee that was giving the, the next 10-year comprehensive plan, and he came down from the planning board, and every other sentence was sustainable development, sustainable development. And finally, I stood up. I said, would you take your UN Agenda 21 crap and get the hell out of here? I'm sick of hearing it. I'm sick of you telling this guy over here he has to sell his 10 acres so the town can do whatever they want with it. Or he has to divide it up for more homes. And this is what they're doing with these statues. The same thing they're doing with these statues. They're destroying history. And they're going to get rid of anything that will make somebody ask, why do you have a statue of this Confederate general? And when they get that, oh, guess what else comes in there? The original 13th Amendment. Where we wouldn't be worried about Russia. We wouldn't be worried about these other countries. Because the Civil War told it all. These Confederate generals were fighting for the freedom of the South, being oppressed by the North. You know, we have to look at the underlying reason. It's not just that... They're, they're racist, and everything, but that's what they're using for the terms. They're destroying history. How many people truly know the truth about the Native American people? The Indians. Nobody knows. Us Indians do. Yeah, we know our own history. But in everyday society, we don't hear about it. We still hear today about how my people were nothing but savages. And everything in our history is gone from the public eye. Now, the Confederacy, they're doing the same thing. They got rid of the flag. Now they're getting rid of all the statues. The same way they're stripping the Ten Commandments and nativity scenes and God right out of society. They're doing the same thing with history. History is whatever they claim it to be. So that's something we have to pay attention to when they come into your town and want to destroy what others have put up in your town as statues or history. Because to destroy it, to rewrite it. So that's what I have on that, RZ. Back to you.
All right. Thank you, Noe. And last night, our friend Gary uh, Gary Kempler uh, hit me up with a uh, link to a YouTube video they did and asked uh, asked me to give it a listen. So I figured I would share it with you before we move into the next phase of the program. So here it is, and we'll be back.
If you see Gary somewhere around BTR town, let him know what you thought of his tune. And on to the next. And there's a couple things. And in the same vein, I guess, is what we'll talk about next is people getting chased. You know, you've got lots of people that uh, exiting their businesses now, a days, and for assorted reasons, and of course, we've all found out our stuff about. Uh, the NFL boycott and stuff like this. And this article addresses that. And it goes as such. The link is in the chitty chat room currently. The controversial founder and CEO of Papa John's, John Schnatter, is stepping down. The company announced Thursday. The company said its current president, Steve Ritchie, would replace him. Schnatter sparked controversy in November when he slammed NFL leadership over players kneeling during the national anthem to protest racial injustice and police brutality. Leadership starts at the top, and this is an example of poor leadership, Schnatter said in a call with investors. CEO statements quickly inspired backlash on the left and support on the right. The Daily Stormer, a white supremacist website, even posted an article asking whether Papa John's was the official pizza of the alt-right. The chain responded and said that it did not want hate groups buying its pizza. Schneider still owns roughly 25% of Papa John's and will stay on as chairman after stepping down as CEO in January. A press release from the company said he would pursue his personal passion for entrepreneurship, leadership development, and education. This is not the first time that Schneider has stepped down as CEO. He did so in 2005 after a period of declining sales at the company, then returned three years later. Schneider has a history of making political statements that spark controversy. He came under fire in two. 2012, saying the Affordable Care Act, the health care law, better known as Obamacare, would be a lose-lose for Papa John's franchisees and employees. Schnatter argued that it would cost Papa John's $5 million to $8 million annually and ultimately drive up the price of its pizza. Glash was swift, with many promising to boycott Papa John's. The company's shares slumped about 4.2% at that time. 
Schnatter's also spoken extensively against what he says is overregulation. In his 2017 book, Papa, the Story of Papa John's Pizza, Schnatter argued that regulations were steering the U.S. away from a system of free enterprise. He believes to be crucial to the nation's success. America in 2016 is on the path to becoming what Germany was in 1867, Schnatter wrote. Schnatter's great-grandfather immigrated to the U.S. from Germany in 1867 as a young craftsman seeking work. The U.S. was a land of opportunity where people were free to become successful without fear of attack or government interference, Schnatter said. Speaking with Business Insider in January, Schnatter emphasized that he thought regulation in the U.S. needed to be dialed back to help businesses thrive. You have to have free markets with limited government with proper amount of regulation where you don't jam entrepreneurship, Schnatter said. Schnatter donated $1,000 to Donald Trump's presidential campaign, although he did not publicly voice support for him. As far as the politics, I have no idea, Schnatter told Business Insider before Trump's inauguration. But I do think we ought to give the new administration at least a chance to either do better things or to botch it. So yet, another example here tonight, dear listeners, of attrition due to the social justice warriors' threats and fear that their agenda will not be properly vetted in the in the court of public opinion. Now, I would admit that the Daily Stormer is not necessarily the most sterling of endorsements for any business. But then on the other hand, maybe they do have a point. The NFL is a nonprofit that makes millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. And just like the uh, guy that owns the Panthers is getting forced out and it's going to have to sell the Panthers. And what has happened is that the Panthers, when he bought the Panthers, the going price was about $250 million for an NFL franchise. He will sell said franchise coming up for $2.5 billion. Consider that. It's become so lucrative and, you know, we can all believe that we've reached peak NFL I'm pretty sure, but that is a hell of a return on an investment. But back to the story. Let's hear what Gooch has to say. Well, um, I'm yeah. Can you hear me? I'm uh, yeah. Talk into your phone. Yeah, man. Uh, no, I'm off the headset here. Um, you know, Schnatter sounds like one of the characters off of Atlas Shrugged whether it was Wyatt or even John Galt himself. Um, This is what drives me crazy about American corporations. They are so afraid to say the words liberty, freedom, 
Uh, most of them uh, are very, you know, anti-free speech. Uh, you mentioned firearms, and especially the companies I work for, you know, it's, it's, it's anathema to civility to bring up firearms, and it's aggravating as hell. And we, it, it goes along with when you're talking about the monuments. <clears throat> There's a lot of watermelons running around America, you know, green on the outside, red on the inside. And it's <laughs> it is aggravating. What I what I see is that a lot of these uh, you know the social justice warriors, you know the crybabies, they will point their fingers at every corporation that doesn't kowtow to you know a a, a racial quota, you know a choreograph of behavior. But what nobody nobody's pointing the fingers back at them and saying you're representing be it a maybe a quiet insurgency you know only lately getting louder but you're representing mr social justice warrior modern communism that's what it is uh you know redistribution of wealth you know sustainability you know cadres of self-appointed experts who've been educated in state institutions to tell, you know, sovereign citizens with their goods and their idea and, you know, their their uh, their plan for profit that, uh, well, you've got to have an, an ethical code and you have to, uh, you know, hire so many of this and so many of that and um, your corporate identity will be respected and you'll be allowed to do business in the United States of America. You know, like, like guys like Schnatter, you know, like guys like Schnatter need somebody's approval. You know, the approval always came when somebody bought a pizza, okay? Most people not even, you know, not even caring, you know, what, how the CEO felt. Now, nobody raises hell when, uh, uh, you know, Democrats are getting the majority of big corporate money. Um, I think they're, you know, paying protection. I think Donald Trump would tell you he paid protection for years. I work for a very large corporation. They're so big, they turn their name into a verb. I can't say it, having identified myself. But it is very politically correct. And it aggravates the hell out of me because that's where I get my health insurance. Okay. But again, nobody nobody in that corporation, uh, you know, they're like a lot of corporations, they, they won't, they, they really won't stand up for individual rights. It's got to be a corporate identity that's approved of, uh, you know, by the public sector. The left is in, the left has been very good at using our own money against us. It's why they say you can't fight city hall. Um, what no way was talking about um, getting, uh, you know, approval from some public body. Um, <laughs> the left doesn't, they don't, the, the left, they haunt public institutions. They haunt bureaucracies for, for a simple reason. They, they, nobody, is, nobody is talking about actually cutting bureaucracies, uh, cutting personnel. They're screaming about this tax cut, which you know is, is, is fine with me. It's lukewarm. I'd like to see us get rid of the IRS, but nobody is, is willing to stand up or maybe even allowed to in a corporate boardroom or on a television screen, you know, at a major event and say, Hey, you know what? This is a country for individuals with individual rights. 
uh, you have no right to wealth. You have no right um, to some, <clears throat> you know, expectation about how you should be treated in public. Uh, you don't get to do that. If you get offended, tough shit. You'll move to Canada. Corporations won't do that. Um, you know, the, the people like Tea Partners are seen as distasteful. Christians are being, uh, you know, uh, uh, hidden in a lot of corporations. And it, and it's aggravating. I know why the corporations do it, but it would be refreshing to have more John Schnatters, you know. Um, I think we'd respond. And I'm waiting to see next year to see how the ticket sales really go for the NFL. I hope they've taken a hit. Uh, it's not that they deserve to take a hit, which I think they do, but the point here being, okay, so you don't like, uh, you know, you say you don't like this, you say this country's bad, this country's evil, that's, that's your choice, but you know what, it's my choice not to buy the damn ticket, and I wouldn't throw $1 at the NFL right now. I, I dropped them a long time ago. Um, it's, a, it's a kind of a fascism that misses the real point that we have massive illegal public institutions dictating, you know, the, the, the tempo of American life. And that's, what's really aggravating. Culture is not something you subsidize and, and legislate and mandate culture arrives by itself. It's a, it's a, it's a product of free association, not, you know, an act of Congress, or, you know, not, uh, you know, an agreed upon, you know, coercive policy coming from some bureaucracy, whether it's national or statewide. Culture exists independent of, of uh, you know, of, of coercion on any kind of a scale. Um, and uh, I hope that some of these corporations decide, you know, they're going to buck the system. And I hope the, the public responds. In the name of liberty, in the name of personal freedoms, and in, in the name of, of a culture that has told the rest of the world for years, you know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to kowtow to the Pharisees in your part of the world, whoever they are, and, and whatever language they speak, and whatever system they're trying to throw on. You can come over here with an idea. You don't need a title of nobility, or you don't need a, uh, you know, a, a, a I don't know. You know, some kind of a, a, a doctorate in some kind of Sanskrit studies that <laughs> don't matter anymore. You can come over here and make a buck. And um, so there you go. I mean, it, it's it's political correctness. And, uh, you know, I'll keep buying Smith & Wessons and ammunition and things that are in bad taste. You know, <laughs> I mean, if it's if it's something that drives the women on The View crazy, and it's something that Jim Kimmel is going to make fun of. I want to be a part of it. So there you go, RZ. Back to you, bud. All right. Thank you, Gooch. And I've got, before we get to the last subject, I want to bring something up really quick. And it is in the chat room now. And it is about cashless society. And it's from Wall Street Journal, and it says, The Fed study finds continued growth in credit card payments. Americans increasingly relied on credit cards to make payments in 2016 and made more of those payments remotely, according to new data the Federal Reserve released Thursday. 
Number of credit card payments grew 10.2% last year to $37.3 billion. Compared with an annual growth rate of 8.1 over the previous three years, the Fed attributed the increase in part to continued strong growth in the number of remote payments such as online shopping and bill paying, which represented 22.2 of all general purpose credit and debit card payments. Remote payments increased 1.5% from 2015, the Fed said. By value, the remote payments represented 44% of all general purpose card payments. The data released Thursday are part of a new collection of information on trends in payments, including credit cards, checks, and other electronic payments that will supplement the Fed's triennial study of the payment system. Overall, American consumers paid with cards 111.1 billion times in 2016, a 7.4% increase from the previous year. And the value of those payments grew 5% to $5.98 trillion. These growth rates were slightly lower than the rates recorded from 2012 to 2015, the Fed said, as growth in debit card payments slowed by number and total value. The share of in-person general purpose card payments that rely on chip technology surged in 2016 to 19.1% in 2016 from only 2% in 2015, reflecting the coordinated effort to place the technology in cards and card accepting terminals, the Fed said. The data also showed more payments fraud, more payments fraud has shifted online. In 2015, roughly 53.8% of payments fraud by value from general purpose credit cards occurred in person. That flip last year when 58.5% of fraud occurred remotely, the Fed said. Data from the largest banks also revealed a continued decline in the number and value of commercial checks paid in 2016 with the data suggesting the average value of a check paid also declined slightly since the previous year. So what does all that mean? Well, what it means is is that we are again inching closer to the cashless society. Now, and it also means that the new chip cards are becoming more prevalent as was evidenced by a 20 near 20% increase in their use i see chip readers everywhere as these become more prevalent you will see that information collection due to the chippies themselves is going to skyrocket. Now, you all are well aware of my own personal habits. I deal in cash and I do pay my bills online. So I've been a constant throughout this with my cool little debit card. So 
when we start to look at what the numbers really mean. What you're having, too, is you're having the oldsters that are dying off and fewer people are writing checks just for the fact that it's becoming a dead form. Nobody wants to be in line behind somebody writing a check. You know, it's cash or card now. So, and I understand that in my life on a, on a daily basis when I, when I'm at work. If a guy has to has to write me a check, I have a whole new series of, of hoops I have to jump through. There is a thing in the trucking business called a T check or an EFS check, which comes out of a maintenance account. And it's just all kinds of just extra stupid. So anyway. So with that being said, no way, what does that indicate to you about the ongoing growth in surveillance? Well, surveillance, yes. Um, they can track they can track everything you do, uh, where you're going. And another thing, when I looked through that article and then I started doing some other digging and research, one thing that's not in their data collection of this is we have to remember that a few years back, if you were on welfare, there was no more physical food stamps. There was no more physical check coming to you. It was all uploaded onto a digital EBT card. So that kind of growth not only tells me that, yes, with this chip that's in it, now that they're all coming over to these chips, they're not only tracking it, but it was so much growth in it that told me that there's more and more people going on to EBT cards as well. But it's all for tracking it. The The actual cash is a problem for government because it's a problem for fiat currency. Having the, the physical cash in your hand is meaning that you're not spending it. Many people will start hoarding all this cash, and that's a problem for government because they need you to create debt and then pay it back, then create more debt and pay it back. Now, once you've gone to a digital currency with your debit card and your credit card, now they can start to monitor your lifestyle. What is it in your life that drives you? So with, when the big corporations are starting to lose profit, well, we need to direct certain messages to these people. These people are all about gaming. These people are all about uh, crafts. These people are all about something else. And they can start directing their advertising. They can start directing everything to you. And 
let's not forget, what's the biggest thing with government health care? This fake, it's all about healthy choices. What's going to happen when they have all of your digital data and they're seeing that, well, this guy bought four hot dogs in a week. And he's got chips and he's got so so they can start to monitor what you're eating, what you're buying, your habits, and those will start becoming illegal. We all know about it. We all know that they they say something. Look at what they've done in New York City. You can't buy a 32 ounce soda in New York City, but you can buy two 16 ounce. So you see how the stupidity behind it all. But when they keep pushing to this digital currency, remember what the whole idea of the one global government is. It's all about control. If you have no means of providing for yourself other than that chipped card that the government has issued or some bank has issued to you, that can be shut off at any given time. It's that simple. They just up and it doesn't work. If you don't have that physical cash in your hand, then you're not buying what you need. If you need something and they've shut off your card, you're done. But it's all about controlling the people. We're going to know their habits. And, and of course, a lot of the data collection, what's it always come back to? For your safety. For your safety. They know all about the guy that rented the the Home Depot truck and went and run over people on the on the bike path in New York City. So did they stop it? No, they didn't. Did they stop the the bomber here a while back, or a couple weeks ago? No, it was that he didn't put the the bomb together right, so it fizzled instead of going off. So they're not stopping any of the terror attacks. But the more and more oppressive, stifling laws they put onto civilization all has the same underlying message. We need to track everybody for your safety. When in the end, nobody's safe. Nobody at all. Because it's the same thing when they were pushing through Obamacare and everybody's going to pay their fair share. But what they weren't looking at is that half the population of America don't even fill out a tax return. So how can they force these people that don't fill out a tax return to pay or even buy a health care service? They can't. It won't because they don't fill out the, the forms anyway. It's, it's the same fake narrative when they talk, well, you, you need to pay for those tax cuts. Why do you need to pay for a tax cut? A tax cut means you have to cut spending. You don't pay for a tax cut. You cut spending. And they always say, where? Well, we start with welfare. If you know that there's $2.2 billion of welfare fraud, but you don't go after the welfare fraud because it, it's, it's too hard to find, well, how do you know there's all that? billions of dollars in fraud if you can't find it see and this is the problem with people today is they don't understand in one breath oh we have to go after that fraud well we can't find that fraud 
Oh, I know we can't find the fraud. Well, what do you mean? They just told you the amount of fraud. But they can't find it. You see, that's the fake narrative. And the more that they drive up the people into the convenience of a cashless society, now they've put chips in them so they can control the data and they know where what you're doing. It's just another step right down into what many of us on the Christian side know as the mark of the beast. It's the revelation being played out right before our eyes. People are bowing down to the world, claiming they're standing with God. And the ones that, are, that don't believe in God, they don't understand what this evil is. They see it as a convenience. Don't understand until the guy comes knocking on the door and, well, you've broken some law. We talked about it right here. If I'm doing committing fraud online, and you are in business with me, but you don't know that I'm doing fraud, that document we broke down about two months ago, the bill, as it's called, for the cryptocurrency, I go down for it, and anybody that done business with me is just as guilty as I am. If you knew I was doing it or not, it doesn't matter. A chipped credit card will now give them that data so that nobody can be above the law. Nobody. Well, unless you're in government, then, well, no laws matter to you anyway. But this is where we've come to. And I see it right in my, my boys. They love it. They love the phones that look at their face for facial recognition to turn the phone on. They love the fact that they can sit there and hit a couple buttons on their phone and buy whatever they want. They don't understand the freedom that they're actually giving up to be tracked 24-7 by a government, the bank, and all the cronies on the left that have about as much intelligence as, I don't know, a pile of crap on the ground. They don't understand, and that's where we have to really look out. This chip stuff is not good. It's just like the real ID. Same thing. It's something we need to get away from. So that's what I have on that, RC. Back to you. All right, no way. And in the final of the night, uh, Holger had asked me a question about the new executive order that was put out by your uh, your mine and our president, DJT. And let me read it to you, and we'll start. Uh, we'll start and see what's going uh see what's going to happen. Yeah, Holger asked me about it in the best viking fashion. I think I got a I think I got a WTF, you know. What what does this mean? So, anyway, let's get into it real quick and I don't think it's all that complex in the real world. It's just brought up in fancy language. So it goes, I, Donald J. Trump, President of the United States of America, find that the prevalence and severity of human rights abuse and corruption that have their source in whole or insubstantial part outside of the United States, 
such as those committed or directed by persons listed in the annex to this order, have reached such scope and gravity that they threaten the stability of international political and economic systems. Human rights abuse and corruption undermine the values that form an essential foundation of stable, secure, and functioning societies, have devastating impacts on individuals, weaken democratic institutions, degrade the rule of law, perpetuate violent conflicts, facilitate the activities of dangerous persons, and undermine economic markets. The United States seeks to impose tangible and significant consequences on those who commit serious human rights abuse or engage in corruption, as well as to protect the financial system of the United States from abuse by these same persons. I therefore determine that serious human rights abuse and corruption around the world constitute an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security, foreign policy, and economy of the United States. And I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with that threat. I hereby determine an order. Section 1. A. All property and interests in property that are in the United States that hereafter come within the United States or that are or hereafter come within the possession or control of any United States person of the following persons are blocked and may not be transferred, transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn, or otherwise dealt in. One, the persons listed in the annex to this order. Two, any foreign person determined by the Secretary of the Treasury in consultation with the Secretary of State and the Attorney General. A, to be held responsible for or complicit in or to have directly or indirectly engaged in serious human rights abuse. B, to be a current or former government official or a person acting for or on behalf of such an official who is responsible for or complicit in or has directly or indirectly engaged in corruption, including the misappropriation of state assets, the expropriation of private assets for personal gain, corruption related to government contracts, or the extraction of natural resources or bribery, or two, the transfer or facilitation of the transfer of or the proceeds of corruption. C, to have been a leader or official of, number one, an entity including any government entity that has engaged in or whose members have engaged in any of the activities described in subsections yada, yada, yada of this section relating to the leader's or official's tenure, or two, an entity whose property and interests in property are blocked pursuant to this order as a result of activities related to the leader's or official's tenure, or to have attempted to engage in any of the activities described in subsections, yada, 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 or any person determined by the Secretary of the Treasury or in consultation with the Secretary of State or the Attorney, or the Attorney General to have materially assisted, sponsored, or provided material or technological support or goods and services to or in support of any activity described in blah, 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 and on and on it goes up until section two. 
where it says, the unrestricted immigrant and non-immigrant entry into the United States of aliens determined to meet one or more of the criteria in Section 1 of this order would be detrimental to the interests of the United States and the entry of such persons into the United States as immigrants or non-immigrants is hereby suspended. Such persons shall be treated as persons covered by Section 1 of Proclamation uh, 8693 of July 21st, 2011, suspension of entry of aliens subject to UN Security Council travel bans and International Emergency Economic Powers Act sanctions. And on it goes. And I will throw this back into the chat room again and again so you can get your own copy and look at it. What we are seeing in this order is, as Flycatch put it, uh, child trafficking, uh, state-sponsored terrorism like that, person who uh, was transferring Bitcoin to ISIS. On a secondary level, though, when you look at the language does have the potential for mischief and goodness, as all things do. And that, I think, is where the rub is. Because when you look at the way it's worded, to me at least, this is what puts Hillary in jail. Because it talks about officials during their tenure and transferring assets and uh, moving money around and corruption. Corruption's brought up many, 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 many times. And that is the catch-all which can put it into the mischief and or goodness category. And I want to say that while it looks good on the surface, because it does have the capacity, who was paying, Podesta was taking money from Russians. And Podesta has a connection to Hillary. This, in one fell swoop, could really be the thing that puts the Clinton crime syndicate out. It has direct implication to Benghazi. It has direct implications to the arms running to Syria. It has directions of everything that's gone on within the prior administration. But this has the capacity to be also brought into play if you have any dealings overseas and you become a pain in the ass because that can be 
used against you as well. And but I think the most telling one, the telling part here is probably B to be a current or former government official, a person acting for or on behalf of such an official who is responsible for or complicit in or has directly or indirectly engaged in corruption, including the misappropriation of state assets, the expropriation of private assets or personal gain, corruption related to government contracts or for the extraction of natural resources or bribery. To tell you the truth, that is Uranium One. Completely and absolutely. Okay, so at that point then, let us, uh, with the time we have remaining, let's bring uh, no way in for a couple minutes and we'll scope scope out and see what's going to go on at the next show. So no way hit up for like two. Uh, yeah, I am going to open up the show so we can continue on with this. But this executive order right here, yes, it does on the surface look great for taking down the Clinton crime syndicate and all of their their Russian collusion and all that stuff and everything else. But if you look at that wording, boy, later on, somebody else, this can be turned right into so many different aspects of our life. Uh, People running for campaigns or anything that they do within office. If the Democrats decide to start using this executive order, American people could go down hard for it. Because there's so many little wording in there. You, you need to look at the copy of what they have. Because it will. It can be turned on us. Um, even like when I was trying to send a, a t-shirt to uh, Tommy English. That went around the world for about four months and then wound up back here. The government could look at that as something suspicious going on in foreign country, but mostly in government themselves. This right here is going to hold every, or it should hold every official accountable. And that they're not going to put up with. So we'll see what other people have to say. But yes, I have uh, opened up my show. I put through the link in there and we can continue on with this in a few. So I'll send it back to you, RZ, and get the other studio up and running. So I'll talk to you in a few. All right. Thanks, Noe. And to John. John, what say you? Man, I want to tackle the digital divide issues, too, because, I mean, there's just so many different things. The first thing that sticks out to my mind was exactly what Noe just was talking about on this right here. You got to be careful about letting other people write things down in such vague and ambiguous terms. They use the language that we all think we understand. So they leave it up to your imagination to decide for yourself what those words mean. 
But when you go into a court of law or they pull you into one of their executive sessions and then they get to dictate how you interact with them and they treat you like a third-rate citizen, they decide what those words mean and how they're supposed to be used and how they apply. And you are no, you know, you don't get to decide self-governing, you know, the rules, laws, processes, and procedures of everything that you're going to be obligated and burdened by. They do. And so, therefore, you're screwed from the get-go. And that kind of stuff, it always comes back to who's deciding the control mechanisms that burden and encumber us. If it ain't you, you're a slave. You're either a legislative slave or a physical slave, which we are, you know, kind of out of that. Most people aren't physical slaves in this country anymore. But they are being physically controlled because all this talk about the digital currency and Bitcoin and all that stuff, in my humble opinion, that's just a precursor to the uh, control, just like no way was saying. There's really no way to add. Uh, That's funny. No way to add. Yeah, no way always adds. Uh, But anyway, you can't really say much more than what no way said about in the, in the general sense in the nucleus. It's all about control, and this is just what I consider mark of the beast 2.0 or 3.0, because you know everything that gets implemented. There's always a, a set basis of whatever it is, and then you get 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, just like the Windows software. Well, gee whiz, they've been monitoring, tracking us ever since. They had the social security numbers first implemented. And then now technology continues to proliferate throughout all these businesses that are colluding with them. And the funny thing of it is, is just like No Way was talking about too, us giving up power. Well, they're just fooling us psychologically and taking the power away from us. It ain't that they're, um, that we're giving it up. It's just they're, they're using psychological behavior, um, projection-type modeling stuff for weak psychological people and, you know, weak emotional people that are, like you guys always say, the uh, useful idiots or the sheeple that can be easily led. And so if we don't figure out how to get more people to think more clearly about protecting their own rights and how these things are being used as tricks, then we're going to be sucked down that black hole with them. And so I'm I'm waiting for a conversation, where, or not waiting, I'm hoping for we can get to the point of figuring out resolutions and, you know, do some planning for a solution to move forward to kind of overcome this stuff. Otherwise, we're just talking in our own, you know, mirror, looking at ourselves. It ain't going nowhere. Anyway, you don't have much time, so back to you, RZ. Uh, Thank you, John. And for a short ending, say like less than a, oops, less than a minute, uh, let's talk to Gooch. Yeah, I'm I'm not real worried about digital currency because all anybody's ever going to find out about me is that I'm still broke. Um, (laughs) uh, So that's that. Um, I fear, you know, people that are going to scream about digital currency and invasion of privacy are you know, they'd better be screaming about Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare as well. What what Trump signed today 
just like, I mean, as you were saying Uranium One, I was yelling, that's Uranium One. I think he tailored this, uh, rightfully so, to, to go after Hillary. Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, campaign finance laws never stopped certain people in public office from getting a ton of money. Um, and, you know, I, I uh, the point's also been made, and I agree, you create a monster. Well, what happens when the need for that monster goes away, but you still got the monster stalking around? Well, somebody's going to use it. Um, so, you know, we'll see how this used. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail on you guys. Uh, I got to get up early and, you know, work. I hate it, but I got to do it tomorrow. You all have a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, uh, keeping me, uh, you know, a spot at the table. And I hope you all are all right. And uh, we'll do this again next Friday. So, so God bless you all. And remember, liberty always. Let's 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 keep talking and let's keep uh, you know, let's keep the fire lit. So you have a good night. Merry Christmas. All right. Thank you, Gooch, and to all our friends, John and No Way. And I think I see Iggy and Trisha hanging around the back there. And thanks for. Uh, keeping uh, the faith through the technical difficulties in the first part of the old program. And these things will be resolved. That's why we do them. So I can, it's like everything else I've ever done, find every way to break it until there's nothing left but the fix. So head over to No Ways right now, and we'll talk to you again Thursday next. And with that, good night.